Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 65. My name is Evan Minto, but you're not going to be hearing very much of me this episode because this is another sort of atypical episode of the Annie Gamers Podcast. Usually it will be me talking to my co-host David Estrella and maybe a guest that we can rope into the show. This time, the entire episode will actually be hosted by Inc., who's a contributing editor to AnnieGamers.com, and he's talking to Jared Nelson, an occasional AnnieGamers guest contributor, about a simulcast anime series called Relife. You can tell how long it took me to release this episode, because Inc. introduces it as episode number 63 of the podcast, but now I'm releasing it as episode 65. Sorry, Inc. David and I will be back in action in about two weeks. We are planning to have a guest next episode that'll be Bamboo Dong from Anime News Network, and we'll be talking about No Man's Sky and the manga A Girl on the Shore. As usual, you can find more information about this podcast and check out older episodes by going to anygamers.com podcast, and you can send us feedback via email with the email address podcast at anygamers.com. So that's it for me. Enjoy the Real Life Podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining Anna Gamers Podcast number 63, where I I am your host, Inc., and I am joined by Jared Nelson. Hi, guys. And we are here to talk about Relife, a summer 2016 anime that's currently airing, or has aired, actually, in its entirety. Relife is a show about Arata Kaizaki, who quits his job uh, after about three months of working there. He suffers a traumatic event that causes him to quit. Um... Now his parents cut off his only source of income, or his what was his sole source of income. Uh, he actually works a part-time uh, convenience store job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he's hit rock bottom by this news of financial detriment, uh, a stranger passes him in the street and offers him a chance at reliving his high school years and his high school body um, to sort of relearn how to, uh, or to relearn social graces uh, by attending high school. Yeah, and he actually, like, takes the stranger up on the offer, as one does when you're approached by a stranger in a dark alley offering you a pill. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's normal, right? Hey, you know, you don't have money for booze, so free pills? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so this this was kind of weird because it uh, initially aired, um, or the whole, the whole series was dumped uh, a la Netflix style. Um, in one in one session, so you can just binge watch the hell out of this thing, which I actually ended up doing despite myself. I didn't want to watch that much, but <laughs> kept drawing me in. That that happened to me too. I made it through. I think I made it through the first like three or four episodes on just kind of a serialized basis. Me just sort of self imposing discipline on myself, and then one Sunday morning I went up oh, to hell with it. I'm going to watch the whole thing and. Um, it was a, a good decision. I mean, when you when you look at the episode titles, um, and it's kind of impossible not to want to go ahead, especially if, if you're watching this as someone who's not one of the younger anime fans, if you're watching this when you are in your later 20s or later than your later 20s. <laughs> uh, uh, embarrassingly later. Gra- gra- gracefully <laughs> setting. Gracefully said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you see... You know, episodes to like fall and it's, it's, you know, a picture of one of the relatively new characters and it's like, oh crap. Well, how does that figure in or, you know, overlap? And then you come to the unfortunate mm-hmm. confession at the end of episode 13 and given the story's yeah. 
premise that's a little weird, but we'll talk about that later. Well, then episode six is titled This Isn't the First Time. So that's obviously a, you know, that's that's a heck of a stinger for a title if you're looking at previews and you're like, oh, God, is this going to go into horrible light novel territory or not? Which I think is if if I was watching this completely not having any exposure to it already. Uh, and spoiler alert, I, I read the manga, but, um, you know, I would be I would be like, what? <laughs> please don't get bad or please don't go into squeaky territory. You know, just um, it's um, I agree, though, that the titles are really cleverly done. And also the, the, the flow of the episodes, it's just really nice. You, you know, marathoning this is almost mandatory just because there's good hooks and you really care about the progression of the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And something else, like I know, at least if you're me, when you mainline most stuff, you kind of skip the, the ending song after you've heard it maybe once, unless it's really, really good. Don't do that with real life. Um, mm. Every ending theme is a different song, uh, popular song from the mid late nineties to early two thousands. Um, so if, if you, um, if you have any kind of nostalgia for old J pop and you want to talk about showing your age here, here, here we go. But, um, if you have any kind of nostalgia for old J pop or J rock, then that's a, that's a nice little treat. Um, you know, at the end, cause I, I, I didn't really catch any of the, the songs right away. Uh, it took me a couple episodes before I heard one that, that I knew. Uh, and it was, uh, the Lark and Seal, uh, uh, Honey is the name of the song. And, um, it's, you know, a song I remember from a while back, we'll just say. And, um, you know, just great, uh, memories of youth with that song. So it was a perfect, um, for this seinen anime, which is very much about taking you back and, and trying to, to, to explore the idea of if you had a second chance, how would you, how would you do it and what would you do differently? Um, it's a great little little treat there at the end and, and really clever uh, for them to think of doing something kind of different like that because they very easily could have gone with, you know, let's just get a pop group that's popular right now and have them do a single and here we go. But uh, I thought that that just really added to the overall experience and the flavor of the show, oddly enough. Which endings don't always do that. Hmm. But when they do, they do. I never thought about that, but yeah, that is, that is a great tie-in. Yeah, the, uh, awesome. that's not the only thing the show really does well. I was, I came into it, you know, just sort of expecting it to be another uh, exploitation of the, the the stereotype of the neat or the hikikomori. Mm, and yeah. neats, for those who don't know, are people who are classified as neither an education, uh, neither yeah, an education, employment, or training. And uh, a hikikomori is someone uh, suffering social withdrawal. Uh, both of those tend to be overused by anime as a direct link to otaku who are obsessed with something, you know, a personal passion and to the point where they don't leave their own homes and they're totally dependent on, you know, people around them to make their own, you know, just for support. Um, the, the, one of the closest series that you could see that with is uh, Welcome to the NHK. And there in the protagonist who, uh, had been supported by his mother, lose all funding, and then um, needs to get support, needs to get money somehow. So he joins up with this uh, neighbor of his who is making a gal game, and you know, eventually becomes the otaku who's plaguing his uh, need existence. Um, and 
from there on in, you see, you know, the just the the downward spiral of depression and failure. Um, the anime is actually much lighter than the manga, and the manga is much lighter than the novel. <laughs> so if you want a downward spiral yourself, watch the anime, read the manga, then read the novel. Um, it's just like just so much worse than the other one. In <laughs> circles of misery. Exactly. <laughs> and it's it's wonderful because you know it's very personal. Um, but it's, it's, it's devoid of uh, a personal reason, really. Uh, this is, you come into Welcome to the NHK and it's just a person in a downward spiral and you follow that. In real life, it's a person with a very personal trigger. There, there's a specific event, uh, event involving a senpai at the company for which he worked for three months, uh, that basically makes him say, fuck the world, I'm out of here. And it's a good point. It's a, it's a good uh, comment, uh, commentary on uh, a sort of business culture in Japan. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say something about Oh, I, I just, you know, I, I was, as I was watching the show and, and, and watching them kind of um, slowly tease out Arata's uh, trauma, um, the, the, I guess you could call them undertones, although they weren't that understated of, of editorial about the sort of meat grinder life uh, that salary men and just, you know, salary women uh, experience uh, in Japanese society today. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful, pretty overt. Um, you know, the, you, you definitely get the sense that um, it, it skirt. I mean, it, it, it stays within the bounds of good storytelling, but you definitely get a sense that the author is trying to advance a point uh, with uh, some of the the uh, portrayal of of that whole culture uh, and you know the the idea of you know, this is the way to be successful versus you know the way to be happy. I think is an important point counterpoint that you see. Arata dealing with as he kind of not not only kind of starts this new re-life, but, you know, kind of begins to start reconciling that with his past and confronting his past in a way. Um, definitely, though, uh, very much a, um, you know, we, we, we sometimes see that that hardworking lifestyle uh, glory, uh, glorified, like, say, in Shirobako, right? Mm. Um, but this is not a, uh, this is not a work where it's looked on as, as a favorable thing. So yeah, it's very pointed, uh, in that. And, um, I don't know if we want to talk about his, him meeting his, uh, Kohai later or not, but like the people who came after him, but, um, yeah, there's, it, that had an interesting dimension to it too, I think. And just how that whole, the whole Japanese work dynamic is. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll say that for later, but, uh, there, the, yeah, we definitely want to explore that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for uh, another compa- comparison to another uh, neat-centric series, uh, specifically Eden the Beast, uh, there there's a stronger... I don't want to say there's a stronger sociological point, because honestly, Eden the Beast was biting in its commentary, especially when you watch the director's commentary or the interview with the director. Um, but both really highlight institutionalization, of problems and people struggle against it and it's a lot more personal in real life uh whereas it's more uh global on in even the beast 
Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, just the yeah, and I, I until you had mentioned it, I, I hadn't even really thought about it that way. But and and it's a it's a fantastic point that in the East really does res- wrestle with kind of the same general themes, but just on a macro scale. Um, and and it's interesting to think about the the main, the main character in that um, in in that show versus the main character in real life, and kind of seeing how those two protagonists approach things differently. Um, and how they deal with their problems, because, you know, in a way, it, it, I mean, Aiden of the East is so much more, you know, overblown and like overstated, right? I mean, the guys run around naked in front of the White House, but... Um, well, it's more of a dramatic, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in a political sense. But but definitely, um, there is that, that, you know, rebellion, you know, uh, with both, uh, I forget the name of the guy from Eden of the East, but that guy, and then from real life. Yeah, well, one also has very clear ambitions, uh, or at least discover, rediscovers his clear ambitions, because he had his memory wiped, so he has the double uh, problem of having to remember who he is and then discovering why he wanted to do what he did, which is kind of the point. Like, can you really mm, yeah. come back and be yourself after wiping yourself clean? And in uh, real life, it's not rewiping yourself or, or coming back from an erased self it's coming back to a way of life that you've forgotten yeah so there, how, there, how there's, you recover from trauma too you know yeah so there there are similarities and there's there's also the fact that in real life the main character has already grown in part uh for like a half a year or a year after his uh after the incident with his senpai mm-hmm. um so he has already at least emotionally distanced himself to some degree from that initial problem. And, you know, this, this program that he's being offered, um, is, is further aid. But in Eden of the East, it was, it was the problem of the, that, that entire series dealt with the problem of coming back to who he was originally or trying to discover that. Whereas, uh, Kinsaki never really forgot. Right. Yeah, he definitely doesn't want to remember, but he didn't forget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we mentioned Kazaki does, is not an otaku. He is not presented as such. Uh, he doesn't also become an otaku, which is nice, um, because it, it paints a portrait of a real person. It's just a person who suffered a very traumatic experience and, you know, has withdrawn from society as a result. Um, yeah. It's also not so black and white with his withdrawal, because... Despite the, the strongly defined trigger, um, he still goes out. He brings himself out to meet with old work friends. Um, and something I really liked about that was just little, little things visually, like the lone suit in the closet looking untouched, uh, the entire apartment sort of being dark and isolated, mm-hmm. um, and the difficulty with the necktie, which is elaborated on later. Yeah, it's it's definitely not... You know, uh, so many of the normal hikikomori tropes do not fit Kaizaki's profile. And in a way, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't take it in that direction, because not only would it have been, you know, it wouldn't have served the story very well, but it, w- it would have also just kind of taken away from the fact that this is, you know, this is a grown man, um, you know. And later in the show, that actually, it, it starts off being a very, you know, awkward kind of source of problems for him 
but he figures out how to sort of turn that into a strength and rely on it and, 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 you know, use it, I guess is a better way to, to explain it, to, to, to help these, um, these new friends he's making. And, um, because he's, he's got a little bit more perspective on things than, than they, than they do yet. Um, but, uh, probably don't want to get too far down into that yet, but, uh, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely not, and thankfully not your, your typical otaku, which, yeah, your otaku hikikomori, but, uh, you know, something else I was thinking about is just depictions of your, your neat, your hikikomori in general in anime, especially lately. Um, I think at first we saw a lot of, um, I don't want to say darker, but more realistic portrayals of, of that, um, of that lifestyle. Uh, you know, like Eden of the East, welcome to the NHK. Um, but you know, if you look at some of the things that have come out recently and one of them, I don't know why, but one of them that jumped out immediately to me because it just, it's so ridiculous. If you think about it in a way is that anime from last season about how, God, I'm trying to remember. It was a very light novel title, and it's a very light. Oh, novel. oh, there's, there's never, a girl. There's is there ever really a girl online, or you know that? You yeah, know the one I'm talking about. I love that one actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was horrible, stupid fluff. No, like, hey, I, I watched a few episodes of it too. That's why. That's why it jumped out to me. But uh, yeah, like that is a show where they almost. They almost hold that up as this, this silly kind of aw shucks thing. And they make, they make the, the, the neat character very, she's very otaku, but they make her very, um, kind of adorably, uh, adorably weird, I guess is a way to say it. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's, 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 it's got this kind of cute air to it. And, and I've seen more of that kind of thing lately where it tends to be, you know, here's a neat, but we're going to put them in some crazy, fantastic situation. And, and that's, that's not what's happening here. And, and I, I think it's, it's a part of the reason I think it feels like a fresher approach is because it, it eschews not, not only the, the standard profile of what a hikikomori is, but also the, the, the more prevalent, uh, tropes that we're seeing in anime, you know, right now. Uh, around Neats and Hikikomori, and uh, I, I just I feel like the I feel like the way they chose to portray it is 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 got a bit of originality to it or authenticity to it that really lends itself um, in service of the larger narrative. Uh, humanism, uh, definitely, yeah. and the 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 trend that you're speaking to is one of uh, almost glorification, like pride in your you know uh, pride in your amount of pride and withdrawal. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it, it becomes a superpower in a weird way. It really does. <laughs> Especially if you take a look at that, that what, hamster girl uh, uh, thing that came up a couple seasons ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's celebratory, and it's, it's I, I, I would really say it's harmfully so. Um, but, you know, it, it is just cute, fun fiction. Um, but this one is... Uh, it's it's darker for how realistic it is, mm-hmm. but it still has a lot of fun. Like there's a lot to laugh at in the show and a lot to fawn over. Um, if you're if, if, even if you're like me and just sucker for love stories and you know all that, because all that's there. Oh yeah. And it was 
as soon as I saw the concept behind the series, it's like, oh, man. Okay, so it's a 27-year-old going back to high school in, a, in his high school body. It's like, this does not, this does <laughs> not bode well. <laughs> like, that seems fraught with problems. <laughs> I know anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do not want to see what happens. And honestly, the show trumps every, well, I don't want to use that word. Uh, the show. Oh, but you did it. <sighs> oh. I know. Forever. Oh. Uh, I the show, the show defied every expectation I had or every, uh, every, every ill omen I, I thought I saw coming. And it yeah. really avoided it nicely, like tactfully in every single point. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it subverted the tropes per se. It just it acknowledged them and said, these are things you tend to expect in a setup like this because it's anime, but we're not going to do those. We're going to do something different. And it was so nice. Um, you know, it's not every day where I'm okay with uh, the setting being largely a school. And because we see it every damned show, it feels mm. like. And um, this is this is one of those, I think, that, that, that approaches it in a different way. It's just refreshing, really. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely coming into it. If, you know, even as I was reading the manga for the first time, I was like, oh my God, what is this guy going to do? And half of it was, is he actually going to do anything horrible? <laughs> sort of a morbid curiosity sort of driving me forward to a point where I could go, oh, yep, yep, jump the shark, I'm out, you know, but <laughs> it, it never, it never happens. It never happens. And, uh, you know, it's got all of those, Teen drama kind of kind of things. You've got the you've got. Will somebody notice me? Yeah, I mean it's it's got all that, but it, it's there's something in the setup and in the way that this whole thing is an experiment <laughs> that kind of puts a whole different kind of puts a whole different uh, filter on it when you look at it. I think I, I like that actually because it does frame Kaizaki as sort of a person on parole, if you will, and yeah. You know, he's being watched, he's being monitored by other people. And I'll save by who and where for, I guess, a spoiler section. Right. Um, but he's consistently aware that he's being monitored. But at the same time, the show really does a good job of making you forget that. Because it stays with Kaizaki's consciousness the entire way through. And even though you as a viewer are aware of his monitors... It really doesn't matter at some point because there's this genuine maturity to Kaizaki that they managed to evoke while he's pretending to be a high school kid that, you know, sometimes he jokes with his fellow students that he's talking with that he's sounding like an old man lecturing them and things like that. And those are more direct. But honestly, just how he speaks to them, it really, it really, you know, speaks to his emotional maturity or at least having his his experiences thus far and you know shows that he actually does speak from this place of experience and it's just really nice to see that yeah and i think you know that you don't get to see it very often but i think another interesting experience where you see his maturity sort of shine through is is right there maybe in the first or second episode uh where he gets caught with the cigarettes and he has to talk to uh, his homeroom teacher, and she ends. She's actually like a year or two younger than he really is. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and he, their interaction is, is kind of funny because, you know, normally when, when you're a student dealing with a teacher in Japan, the, the teacher has this very, you know, kind of authoritative sort of tone and mindset. And, you know, even if they're being nice, you, you still, you can, you can hear the authority in their voice and all that. But, you know, in that interaction with Kaizaki and the teacher who is voiced by, one of my favorite uh, voice actresses, Miyuki Sawashiro, um, she kind of is immediately disarmed by his reaction and, and kind of starts leveling with him on almost an equal footing kind of, kind of level. And it was just, it was just kind of funny to see that because it, it was a neat way to, it was a neat way to highlight the fact that, yeah, he, he looks 17, but he's actually a 27 year old guy and he's still not very good at pretending to be a 17-year-old guy. So so there's this really honest interaction happening between these two uh, you know, adults. And um, I, I thought that that was just a really interesting way of highlighting that same thing uh, in a slightly different aspect. Mm. So in addition to your smoking reference earlier, there's also uh, the smoking scene uh, with the teacher and... Kazaki. There's also an episode where his handlers, uh, the monitors, actually come over to his place and they have a tendency to drink, drink with him because they can't actually drink anyplace else. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, his adult habits continue despite his teenage body because internally he's actually still old. It's just his appearance that changes. Yeah. Um, so I guess he's still allowed to drink. In a but, weird way, it almost makes him feel like an even older character than he actually kind of appears to be because it's the just the juxtaposition of a 17 year old kid like all slouched in his in his under his kotatsu like leaning against his bed staring up the wall or the ceiling you know smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer yeah. you know kind of two-fisting it it's like i know you're just 27 but that's like a that's like a 47 thing man like what are you <laughs> like wow and here you have, you know, more similarities with some of the, the common Ikikomori tropes is just, you know, having uh, an apartment and a very, you know, littered apartment uh, with, you know, beer and all, all the excesses of life and, you know, all the destruction there from. Um, but in this, in his setup, it's kind of fun because he gets visits from his handlers who are also, uh, well, let me take a second to say, we are now officially in the spoiler section. Um and since all the episodes are online right now, we're not going to hold any hold any bars as opposed to, uh, you know, spoilers on the latter half. So listen at your own discretion or stop right now, watch the rest of the series, come back and enjoy. Uh, so the, his handlers who are actually two of which are actually in the class. And I kind of I had thought there were more real life people, although I thought they would all be subjects, not uh, handlers. But uh I thought everyone in the class would actually turn up to be real life experiments and uh, that would be the, the fun turn of the show. Uh, but in fact, it's actually only two, uh, two people, all three people actually. Yeah. Three. three. We probably want to save the third for the best for last. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so his handlers uh, occasionally come over to his apartment because that's the only way they can drink is because they all look 17 or 18. So they can't get liquor, liquor. And, uh, their company actually pays for the liquor and the cigarettes that the kids or the quote unquote kids can't get. Uh, so they all drink and smoke at his place. But what's kind of funny is you also have the high school kids dropping by uh, Kaizaki's place. So there's 
the usual trope of all those empty beer cans lying around, the cigarettes, all the, all the all the taboos of you know what you shouldn't be doing as a teenager, but which every teenager does. Uh, and <laughs> you you have him scrambling to hide all these empty beer cans and cigarette trays and all that. Uh, and it's it's just nice to see that sort of like oh shit, no, I have to maintain this appearance as opposed <laughs> to no, no, I'm proud of my alcoholism and my black lungs. Right. <laughs> It's like, I'm an adult, but wait, I have to hide crap like I'm a teenager, but I'm an adult. <laughs> you know, it's it's, yeah. it's it's a nice kind of double inversion, I guess. Um, so did, did, did you see did you see who was who coming? Um, I well, you, you know, right away about uh, about one of them. Right. Because mm. because you, you meet him straight up. And that's uh, uh, Theo Yawake, who is the. Stranger in the dark alley that approaches Arata with the the pill and a promise to, uh, of employment if he does this experiment for a year. Um, so it's, yeah, it's worth it's worth noting that this is actually the second, only the second of uh, two such experiments that have been run by this company. Yes, very important for for reasons. Reasons with a capital R. Um, but the the second one, I thought maybe. Um, I, I kind of suspected that some kind she she had some sort of angle. I just wasn't sure what it was, and I was kind of leaning towards yeah. She she knows something about him being not all he appears to be, um, and that's um, on Onoya, um, who you know for being a uh, glasses wearing with the braid kind of appears to be a stereotypical nerdy girl. Um, really isn't <laughs> at all. She's really, she's really bright and upbeat and, um, super hyper, super hyper and kind of, kind of, um, kind of a, a, a sadist in a way. Like she likes to, she likes to put Arata in awkward situations. So she'll glomp on him and stuff randomly. And Oh God, that was one of the best parts of the series is just the facial reactions. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, she, she'll also try to, to do things to get under Ryo's skin because An is Ryo's kohai at the um, at the real life laboratory, um, and and you know she she likes to uh, she likes to see if she can piss off Senpai while still being undercover, and and kind of um, have a um, a joke pass between the two of them, but only one of them thinks it's funny. Um, and I totally shipped them, by the way. I shipped the hell out of the two of them. <laughs> Which ones? Which ones? Uh, Rio and On, like with authority, like absolutely, like which is kind of I think where the show wants you to sort of be. But like, there's this one moment where you think, oh god, On's really got this thing for Arata, and, and it's she's just messing with him, mm. and um and and that was like so like oh, <laughs> like it just it was it, it just was like weird and it didn't feel right, and um and I'm I'm glad that that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, so so those are the two, two of the three um, other uh, people who are uh, adults masquerading as high school students. Uh, with On, I was actually just liking. I I, did, I never actually thought. Well, I thought I, I thought everyone was in on this, but um, I didn't think that she would be a handler. And I thought it was really nice that. It was more if she was just a regular person, like on the outside chance I was wrong that she was not a real life participant, Yeah, um, that they were just showing that girls are that much more mature than guys. And 
uh, Kaizaki having been thrown back 10 years, or however long it was, yeah, 10 years, I think, um, is actually, you know, at the same maturity level as a high school girl. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, okay, well, that, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. Like, because the, the, the instances where, you know, An and uh, Kaizaki sort of team up against, who is it, Oga? Mm-hmm. Kaizaki. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the students, uh, Kaizaki, actually, you know, develops a friendship, an antagonistic friendship with uh, early on. Yeah. Because uh, he's oblivious to, what was her name? Rena. Uh-huh. Rena. Uh, the fact that Rena likes Oga and Kaizaki would constantly, you know, nag him about it or, you know, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, yeah. joke with him about it. And Anne would just join in. And the both of them were just like, how can he be so blind? <laughs> it, was, it was the yeah. high school girl like thing. But I was like, oh, please just let it be a high school girl and like a middle aged man conferring on this because he's got the experience to look back on it. And she's just a high school girl and that more, much more mature. Yeah. And, but it turns out they're just about the same age, so it's like, oh. I I thought for just a maybe the span of of uh, an episode or two that um, that on might be the first candidate. Um, mm-hmm. Project zero zero one, I think um, the first the first experiment uh, was known as. I I thought for a minute maybe she was that first experiment, and it, and and it didn't go well somehow so they just sort of brought her on to try to help her even though she was a handler but we find out that that's not actually what's going on but the the way the series does that is actually nice because there are uh, two two binders that are used to keep track of the participants and the way the series works referencing each is really well handled because Whenever they reference the first binder, it makes it seem like, you know, that case is already closed. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second binder, which is Kaizaki, is just beginning and the, the handler const- constantly compares the two. Uh, so you get the sense that, you know, okay, one is over and done with and, you know, Kaizaki is the newest one and he wants this to go better because the first one was a failure. Mm. And then... <laughs> then things happen. Things happen. Uh, all the lovely love triangles, you know, sort of come together and it's revealed that. So uh, many love triangles. Oh yeah. That was great. I was, I was loving it. <laughs> uh, but it's revealed that the, uh, the social outcast, the person who, you know, has always had her nose in books and it's been referenced up until this point in the series of being in the class with, um, Kaizaki's handler for a couple of years, uh, or it was last year. Yeah. Um, you know, and I never even picked up on that. I was like, oh, that's stupid of me. Like, it was a huge clue. It was right there. It was perfect, but it was, you know, so simple. And I didn't catch it either. Like, yeah. I, I, I started to suspect towards the end, but I, but I was still like, oh, what? Like, <laughs> when the reveal came. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so, the, so this dark haired girl with glasses who has no social graces and who should have immediately been pinpointed as, you know, not only a parallel to who Kaizaki, Kaizaki is and wants to overcome, um, but also, you know, is actually study number one. Um, uh, and Kaizaki's way out of the experiment in, in part because he helps her grow. Um, and, you know, he helps everyone grow just by sort of being there and caring more about them than himself during this experiment. Because mm-hmm. he certainly doesn't care about his grades. Oh, no. No. Famous, famously. 
Um, you know, the, it, and it's funny because the, in, in something of maybe a bit of a stereotype reversal, the, the flashy, cause he called, he calls him Chata Oga, but like the, the flashy, um, outgoing, uh, class representative or boys class representative Oga is, you know, he's got great grades, but it's, it's Arata with all this worldly experience that can't solve a math problem. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's, that's just true. It's a harsh reality of life. You send any adult back to school. It, they would, yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd be an idiot. I, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. Um, you, you, you settle so hard into daily routine that you actually forget everything you've learned except what you need to know to live. Right. Which is kind of the point of the series. Like, yeah. you really need to keep learning and keep expanding and keep caring. And it was a really, it's a nice theme of the series. You know, I think there's something we have not yet mentioned that is really important. And maybe we did and I forgot, but I don't think we did. So at the end of Arata's year. No, no we have not mentioned this yet. We, okay, we should go ahead and get this out there now. Because this is really important to like the tension that begins to take more and more hold in the show as as the series continues. But at the, at the end of Arata's year uh, of relife back in uh, high school, he will still remember everything that happened. But everybody that he associated with as a 17-year-old student will forget him and will forget. They'll, they'll, they'll kind of fill in the blanks uh, of, that he leaves in, the, in their pasts with, oh, I forget who who told me this really smart thing once, but he told me this really smart thing once and it helped me do this. And um, so, so all of, all of the friends he's making now uh, are, are he's going to lose. And he is more and more keenly aware of that as the series goes on. And by the time you get to, well, as he's more and more invested. Yeah. As he's more and more invested. Exactly. And by the time you get to the, the end of the, the run of the show, yeah, uh, we're about halfway through that experiment. Hey, it's about six months into the school year, and um, he's he's it's beginning it's beginning to dawn on him that oh my god, I'm I'm going to lose all these people, and I think you're starting to see the seeds of a of a you know the next level of conflict for him, internal conflict for him is do I pull away or, or what do I do, um, and that you know. Wish that we had a real life season two to uh, to discuss all that and, and speculate. But um, anyway, I wanted to mention that because I don't think we had talked about that yet. And it's super important for uh, the the overarching plot line of the show. It is because it really casts a light on a lot of his actions and a lot of his inaction. And not and, and I like a, I like the fact that a lot of his inaction is not painted in negative light in the series because there's you know. He has the opportunity. Even even his handlers like show you know joke with him. Well, slightly joke, slightly nudged forward. Uh, it's like, hey, this is the summer of youth. That's never going to happen again. You're getting a second chance. No one will remember you. Kiss the high school girl. Yeah, and yeah. they're like actively trying to get uh, Kaizaki and the other participant together uh, because he doesn't know that she is the other participant and therefore actually his age just reverted in looks. Right. And this, this is one of the best ways the, 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 the series stays unskeezy because even, even though that is really skeezy, 
it somehow manages to paint it in a light that's not, and it's not easy to pull that off because I yeah. was I was looking to hate this aspect of the show, mm-hmm. and by the end of it, I was just like, you know what? That was just kind of a beautiful thing. It was kind of a, a kind of a uh, a ghost in the shell thing. Do so, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like I can buy it because this, you know, participant one had been a failure. So she's in essence sort of repeating as we have seen Kaizaki repeating the pests over and over again. So she failed. So she's repeating. Um, Kaizaki comes in and is given this, this, this sort of second chance. And I, I can, I can, I can see that meshing up. Like it's meshed well. It's timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like they're, they're kind of testing him really. To, to see if, if, if he'll, if he'll do it or not. And because there's a couple of, there's a couple of times where, you know, they've, well, you know, on in particular, it, you know, she's such a, she's such an interesting character. Like, scam. Of, she's uh, just a scam. She, she really is. I mean, she's just like there to just make life interesting. But, you know, she puts the moves on Arata in this really fake way to try to see if, if he would, if he would take the bait and mm-hmm. he, he ends up, you know, being this really stand up guy as, as we find more and more, he, he tends to be. And, and he kind of pushes her away and goes, no, I can't do this. I'm sorry. And, and then that's when, you know, they reveal, Oh, but I'm actually a worker with real life. And I was just messing with him. Oh, you know, wasn't that funny. Uh, well, but then, but then later her and Vio talk and she's like, I, he, he, he did what I, I hoped he would do, and, and he's the man I thought he was. You know? But what's important is that they reveal that not to the character, but to the audience first. To the audience, right, exactly. And so, Which is why we're able to feel a little bit better about what's going on, because he, <laughs> he still has no idea. Exactly. Uh, I think until had, much, well, I guess, what, third or fourth, uh, fourth or fifth episode? Yeah, and he has no idea that at all uh, that Hishiro is the the other candidate and and after it's revealed it's so damned obvious it's one of those things where like you know we 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 act like we've seen a lot of anime and we've seen a lot of stories and we we can see the foreshadowing on the wall but then sometimes it's still just hits you in the face and you're like oh god how did i not see that and like all of the very business-like formal ways she's like talking and interacting with the other with the other people in the class and I mean that that to me, besides the fact that she was with Rio like for one whole other year, that's like the biggest signal because she's she's doing everything but handing people business cards when she <laughs> talks to them, and it's like, oh, how did I not see that? Um, but um, yeah, yeah. By the by the end of it, it's by the end of the series or this this season, it's revealed that that she's the first candidate. Arata has no idea. Um, and he's sort of still wrestling with these feelings of, you know, I'm going to not only is is there a dimension of, you know, she's 17. And from his perspective, she's 17. And this is horrible for me to do and to have feelings like this. But then also, you know, she's going to forget me kind of at a deeper level. And I don't want to be hurt like that. And, um, you know, I, I can kind of see the character and it, it's, they do a great job of showing you this kind of struggle he's going through. You get, you see the character wrestling with it on uh, a couple of different levels and it, it's really, it's really well done. And it's like you said, it's done in a way that 
could have been so easily so just skeevy as fuck, but it's not, and it's it's great. Um, it, it's a battle versus it's a battle of libido versus morality, and you can equate that to immaturity versus experience. And he's letting experience guide him, and that's very important because that's what actually makes him a decent character. And it's like, okay, well, thank you for letting me like this series. <laughs> because the, the, the interactions, you know, is kind of what made me keep watching the show. Because uh, the first three episodes, there's really not much to speak of um, other than the, the, the interesting premise. And, you know, but the, the interactions between the characters, especially when Hishiro, Hishiro? Yeah, Hishiro. Ishiro, um, comes under the scene and like he starts coaching her to smile and all the interactions with her <laughs> and the redhead because those those made, yeah. those were my best moments. I was laughing off my ass just because she's, of how stupid. she's given she's given her the psycho grin. Exactly. And it's like, no, no, that's she's that's she's actually trying to smile for you. <laughs> and that comes up repeatedly and with such great timing. <laughs> yeah. The the redhead is definitely the the most teenager teenager in the whole show <laughs> like she is she is like peak like cw teen heroine level mm-hmm. i mean just in- incredible um and you know the amount of just crazy crazy angst she she throws around um you but know also, it's, it's like- good I like, wow. the, I like the angst as balanced by her sheer confusion. Yeah. Like, it's like, seriously? Seriously? Is she just throwing me the death grin now? Like, wh- how? What? <laughs> just that, that, that isolation in time just totally yeah. stupefies her. Well, like her and, her and Oga both have this sort of air of innocence about them in a weird way. Um, oh, yeah. Y- you know, um, especially oh, Oga. Actually, yeah. Poor Oga just kind of floats through the world, and I don't even know, like, uh, you know, what what goes through that guy's head? Uh, does anything go through his head? Um, it, just it, academics. Kind of just yeah, academics. basically. Which actually makes him a good parallel for that redhead, because she was also, you know, previously only academically oriented. I mean, you always know she has a crush on him, but, you know, for the point in time, for the time being, you know, you focus on her being this competitor to uh, Hishiro and, you know, her stilted at her winning class rep status and formally becoming number two to her. Whereas before, you know, they weren't in the same class, so it didn't matter. But, um, you know, it was, it was a good parallel. And then it makes for uh, very entertaining situations like when Oga finally comes to with that parking lot drama. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I mean, she goes through a lot of evolution, Rena does. She's like, because there's the academic half of it, like you said, and then there's that whole other plot line. That's the injury. Sort of the, the middle, yeah, the injury plot line that's in the middle of the of the series that sort of revolves around her and then three characters we haven't really talked about yet. Um, her her best pal, uh, um, Honika Tamurai, um, who's like this, you know, really sweet, naive super athletically gifted uh captain of their volleyball team and um she's sort of like the other competitor that Rena has at the school that she she competes with in like a friendly rival kind of way but then she has this injury and and it sort of throws all that in jeopardy and um you know Rena kind of 
by the end of the, the first season, at least, she's sort of come to peace with, you know, it doesn't all have to be, you know, she doesn't have to compare herself to other people. She just needs to kind of find her own kind of happiness. And, um, you know, that was, it was a neat, um, it was a neat kind of evolution to see her go through. I mean, really, you know, pretty rapid evolution because Rena kind of ends up being a lot of the, the driving force of a lot of the plot in some, in some parts of the show. Which was a little scapegoatish, um, I, I thought when I was yeah. watching it. But and the I, I find it interesting you mentioned the three characters because her and her bodyguards, which I guess are <laughs> her siblings, or I think whatever. they're like her her childhood friends that obviously both have feelings for Honoka. So so there's there's Asagi and Inukai. Which they have first names, but you never hear them. Uh, so we'll call them because they're names. that important. <laughs> because they're that clearly supporting characters. Um, you know, you Asagi is like the is like the the nice. You know, he's, he's a good lot. Cop. Yeah, he's the good cop. He's a lot like he's a lot like Honoka is. Uh, and then you've got Inukai, who's like the mean bad boy type dude who with the heart of gold. Yeah, with a heart of gold, who's fiercely territorial where Honoka is concerned and, you know, um, kind of, kind of gets, gets in, uh, Arata's face more than, more than once, uh, because of perceived, uh, uh, some sort of perceived threat or, or invasion of Honoka's space or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's such an obvious love triangle that they're just kind of leaving on the shelf and they're like, Oh yeah. When, when we need some dramatic tension, we're just going to pull that off the shelf and throw it out there and <laughs> let her go. Cause you know, we're going to have to have another love triangle to, to angst over. <laughs> which, which is funny because you know, the anime ends halfway through the school season and it's like begging another season. But yeah, as you've told me, the, the manga ends there. Yeah. So, um, Kind of a weird situation for a, a, uh, anime adaptation. Normally we, um, normally we get the, uh, we, 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 if we, if we've got the, the anime, we get the manga later or we get the manga first and then we get a lot of the manga and then we get the anime and the anime doesn't cover all of what the manga covers. This is a situation where the, the anime, uh, this first season covers Everything in the manga that's out in Japan to a certain point. Uh, but Crunchyroll manga does the uh, translation of it in English and they localize it for the, uh, the U.S. market. And they're not as far along as they were uh, in Japan when I guess they like drew the line and said, here's where we'll end the, the series. Um, so the if you're if you've read Real Life or plan to read real life on the Crunchyroll manga, um, it's not going to go as far as the anime did. Um, that having been said, I think it's still worth your time, uh, especially if you get a little bit extra out of a story and characters by engaging a work in a different way, in a different form. Um, I think it's, I think it's definitely uh, worthwhile to do that. Um, you also get a little bit more of the backstory behind Honoka and her her two her two bro friends um, in the manga that you don't get in the anime. And, and does that does that actually affect the the 
the weight of the series as a whole? Because in the anime, they're, they're, they're just sort of there and unnecessary. I feel like it, yeah, I feel like it does because you you get – you don't really – in the anime, like, and, and you don't even meet Honoka until – you know, several episodes in, and then her 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 bodyguards are kind of like floating in the wings. Um, you really don't ever get a a reason to give a damn about the three of them. Um, you know, they're kind of they're kind of there to serve uh, the purpose of the plot, and it's more plot driven uh, where they come in on on the anime with the manga. The manga and the anime fall very closely together in terms of story beats, but you get you get a couple of these flashbacks with Honoka and her, her pals when they're in like elementary school or whatever, that gives you a little bit more of a sense of who these characters are and what their, their early life is like. It definitely makes the, the Inukai kind of jerk face dude a a lot more understandable as to why he is the way he is. Um, So that's a part that you will not get uh, anywhere, but the manga. Um, And I, I think that there's some, some little extra details here and there uh, in the manga. I, I haven't gone back and kind of kind of run through it since uh, the anime came out, but I I feel like it's you know for the most part it's very it's very what they do show in, in the anime is like really close to what they do in the manga. But um, I, there are some spots in the manga that give you a little bit more depth. So um, I think the next Tankoban of Real Life comes out in Japan maybe this month. So hopefully Crunchyroll manga is going to have, yeah, you know, generally when they do, when they have real life, they'll, they'll add like multiple chapters at a time. Um, so hopefully they'll get at least this next volume out fairly quickly. Uh, and hopefully that'll catch us up a little bit closer to uh, where the anime ended. Um, but um, I, I think it's worthwhile. I think it, especially to get some depth on some of those supporting characters that don't get as much screen time literally in the anime. Final thoughts on real life. Watch the show. It's, it's really, it's a great show. Um, you know, it was good enough of a show to get me and ink to sit down and want to talk about it. <laughs> Seriously. Um, like as soon as we both realized we both finished it way ahead of when we should have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was an immediate decision. It's like, Oh dude, we got to talk about some of the points on this. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, you know, I think a lot of the art that I've been needing right now has been around, you know, nostalgic pieces that aren't necessarily indulgent, but they use the past, the recent past as a backdrop. Um, you know, Erased is a great example. Um, going out of anime, you know, something I think ever it's burning up the internet, uh, Stranger Things. Um, which if you haven't watched that ink for the love of Pete, go watch that show. Um, but uh, there's a lot of things that I seem to, even Jojo's bizarre adventure is to a point that I can remember in the past, you know, 1999 is like, you know, not that long ago for me. So, um, you know, it's, um, I don't know. It seems like that's just sort of the art I need right now. It's, it's, it's finding me and I'm finding it. And, uh, I just, I really uh, enjoyed it, and it really, uh, I guess it hit me at the right time. What about you, Ian? I, I like the humanistic side of it. I like uh, sort of a realistic portrayal of, you know, a late 20-something who has been affected by something so uh, wretched that it makes him, A, take a stand against, you know, sort of the coldness of a, of a workplace, which 
relies upon people just sort of giving themselves to the company at the expense of themselves and all the inj personal injustices they suffer. Um, I, I like that message. I like, because that is addressed actually in the final episode when he meets, meets, uh, com uh, people heading to the grave of his senpai. Um, and it turns out he's somewhat of a hero because people still talk about him and his rebellion. And, you know, the, the characters realize, yeah, this is a shitty way to live. But then he comes around and says, you know, yeah, it was a shitty way to live and I'm living pretty shittily right now, but at least I'm not being as shitty as being in that company that treats people that way. It's a great feeling. It really is. And it's done tastefully because he's not louding it over them. He's, he's presenting an, an earnest portrayal of where his life has gone and how, and it shows him growing up and accepting things and realizing why he is where he is. And that allows him, I think, to get past a lot of feelings that he has harbored. And, you know, it may be a little too much projection, but, you know, hey, fuck the man. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you can if you can live without having to, you know, bow to that corporate bullshit, do it. I, yeah, I love that scene. And a lot of what I loved about that scene was the authenticity in how he delivered that message to um, those two employees from that company. Um you know, because it, 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 it wasn't, you know, varnished or anything like that. It was, it was just the truth. It was just, he, you know, what he felt. Um, and, um, just ah, great writing. They, like, this show has just really good, really good writing in general. Um, and I don't know how much of that is the screenwriter versus the mangaka. Obviously, the, the mangaka for this is, has given them a lot of great raw material to work with. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, such a great show. Definitely worth people's time. And I hope people check it out. All right. I think that ends things. Uh, Jared, where can we find you on the good old internets? Well, um, you can find me on Twitter at Save versus Jared. Um, you will occasionally, uh, when the moon is in the seventh house, uh, find me blogging on my blog about things related to gaming uh, video gaming and tabletop gaming and sort of the, the, the life and culture in between it on, uh, the Electrum Edition blog, uh, which you can find if you go to Save versus Jared on, on Twitter, uh, you can link right to my website, uh, there. Um, gonna have some posts coming out here soon, hopefully. I've got a, a kind of a docket of things I'm trying to work my way through on that. So stay tuned on that piece. And then, of course, um, I do occasionally contribute to the Anagamers website, uh, typically on the three episode tests, which we just got done, uh, doing some of those and they're coming out right now, I think. Um, and that's where you can find me. You can find me, uh, at animated ink on Twitter. I am currently only pretty much in the back end of Anagamers presently editing all the things you see posted, uh, and actually, I just uh, did a three-episode test as well, just to prove I'm not dead yet. Uh, also, on, also in the, the very physical pages of Otaku USA magazine, uh, where I still do reviews that are way too analytical and wordy. And good. Oh. Forgot good. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Jared, for coming on. Oh, Inc. Thanks for having me. This was this was great. I'm glad we got to. Uh, reconnect on re-life but I'm Ching
<laughs> nice. It is it is a series entirely worth watching, so please do catch it on Crunchyroll. Uh, visit the awesome website of its own. And uh, that's it. Mm-hmm.